You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Good morning. Is my mic on? We feel hear me okay. My name is Jake. I'm an associate pastor here at Schweitzer. So welcome. If you're new with us, then you're catching us in the ninth week of a 10-week series that we've been in. We're going through the book of Psalms. Um, one thing I'd like to encourage you before we even get started uh, is to download the Schweitzer app. Go to Psalms Greatest Hits. It's right there on the front page. And listen to the music that our creative team has produced throughout for, for each week, for each psalm that we've read. It's incredible. In fact, the song that we just sang is, is a product of this series. It's Psalm 25 is what we just uh, sang. So each week they're making new music. It is a great way to help memorize these psalms, to help internalize them, and really uh, make them your own. Um, I'm still a little bit bitter that they didn't accept my version of Psalm 23, which we're going to read today. Would you guys like to hear it? Yeah. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> I could go on. That's what you get when you have a two-year-old daughter who loves farm animals. And uh, anyway, theirs is much better, and so go on, go on the app and listen to it. I'm gonna, uh, we're going to read through Psalm 23 today. It's, it's probably, I would guess, the most popular psalm in the history of the church, at least the Western church. Um, one of the most popular chapters of the whole Bible, I would propose to say. I mean, people just love this psalm. I think there's really something to relate to. And so we're going to go through it kind of verse by verse, and we're going to start here at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What does it mean to want? Well, in our common language, we typically think desire. I shall not desire anything. But more traditionally, more classically, um, to want means um, is, is to be in lack, right? And so really what the writer, King David, is saying here is that I shall not want is, is, is to say I shall not lack anything. Or in the version that was read originally uh, in the bumper video um, is I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not lack anything. Now, at surface level, this sounds a little bit like what I call the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Does it not? If you follow Jesus, you'll be healthy. If you follow Jesus, you'll be wealthy. If you follow Jesus, all your problems will go away. You will have no pain and suffering. You will have no difficulties and hardships in life. You shall lack absolutely nothing if you just follow Jesus. But anyone with a brain 
knows that this is not true. Most notably in the sense that we all die. I'm just going to say it. We all die. There is a day, whether you know this or not, where you will not have one more breath to take. You think about that, and sometimes it kind of hit, hit me the other day. You know, every once in a while it just kind of hits you like, oh, man. That's a reality that we've all got to face. There will be a day where everything that you have on this earth will no longer be yours. It will be taken away, including your very own life. So how can King David say, I shall not lack anything? What does he really mean? Of course, in some cases even, uh, to follow God, to follow Jesus the very cost of discipleship means that we suffer, does it not? We have brothers and sisters all across the world who are imprisoned, tortured, even killed for their own faith. Um, even uh, apart from the Christian religion, uh, the, the first of the four noble truths I learned, uh, which Buddha taught, the first of the four noble truths is that life is suffering. Now, the point that I'm trying to make is it, it's really important as we continue reading and engaging uh, with this psalm, and as we talk about how God provides, how God protects, we need to get rid of this notion that God's provision somehow means that we get to escape suffering. It does not mean that. All right, so let's, let's clear our minds of that notion today as we continue reading this psalm. And um, I want to le- read from you a really potent uh, first paragraph in a book called, what's it called? The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck. The opening of the book says this, life is difficult. This is a great truth, one of the greatest truths. It is a great truth because once we truly see this truth, we transcend it. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult because once it's accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. It's a mindset that I want us to have today. The fact that life is difficult is not relevant for our discussion. Because whether you follow Christ or not, you're going to suffer. You need to accept that. Now, once we accept this, we can then ask the question, to what extent, in the midst of my hardships, my trials, and my difficulties, will God provide for me? That's the question we're going to be asking today. To what extent then, in the midst of my suffering, can I expect God to be there and provide for me? And as to this question, I believe King David writes Psalm 23. So let's continue reading. Verses 2 and 3. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. Let's go back to that first verse. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, you need to know I've learned a few things about sheep and shepherding as I've studied for this message. And thank you, uh, David Freeman, the other preacher today. He did a lot of this background research. Um, A sheep won't lie down unless it's full. Its stomach must be full and its surroundings must be secure. And there can't be a lot going on, but it's got to be content. The sheep won't lie down unless its stomach is full, okay? So you make me lie down in green pastures of the next word. Now, 
Historically, when I've thought green pastures, I think when most Americans think of green pastures, we think of this, this lush landscape, scenery, right? beautiful scenery, greenery as far as we can see, dancing, frolicking, flowers, rest, comfort. You get what I'm saying, right? Isn't that what you envision when you think you make me lie down in green pastures? But this is what I learned recently, that such pastures do not exist in Israel. They don't. Right, so what are green pastures in Israel? Behold, brown, rocky, rugged terrain. Still to this day, the locals in Israel call these green pastures. Isn't that interesting? They call these green pastures. At first glance, they look like a barren, rocky wasteland. But each day, a few blades of grass grow in the shades of the rocks where the moisture is trapped. And there's enough there to feed the flock for just one more day. Those are the green pastures. And it's in this landscape that David writes, You make me lie down. You fill my stomach. You provide for me. So how is it that God provides? Lesson one of today is he provides daily. He provides daily. One of my favorite uh, images of this in Scripture, they're all throughout Scripture, by the way, but it's the heavenly manna that falls to the people of Israel after they escaped Egypt, and they're in the wilderness for 40 years, right? And every day, this, this, heaven, this bread falls from heaven and it coats the grass and God instructs them to go out and, and collect as much as they need and to fill their stomach. But if they try to save up some and have a little extra, save it till the next day, what happens? It spoils. It's no longer any good. What is God doing here? Why would he not send them bread that would last until tomorrow, until next week, until next month? Until, why? Why would he... he if he can send bread from heaven, he could do anything he wants, right? This bread could, could last a little bit longer than a day. Why send it for a day? Train us to rely on him daily. Because still to this day, now and forevermore, that is how God is for us. Daily. The Lord's Prayer, we're taught to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Recently, as I've been reading through the Lord's Prayer, I've been focusing on that verse a lot. Give me today my daily bread, Lord. Just, just today's, so caught up thinking about tomorrow and next week and next month. Do, do you do the same thing? <laughs> and it's just, man, if I can just, just give me what I need for today. And if you do that every day, you know, just every day, trust that you have enough for today, then before you know it, he always provides. And one of the reasons I think we get so anxious and so stressed out in life is because life looks a lot more like those, those green pastures than the ones we typically imagine, right? And we're looking at our circumstances in life and our situation, and we're just saying there's not enough there to last the rest of this week. There's not enough there to fill me for the month or for the year, right? How am I going to pay the bills next month? How, you get what I'm saying? And you're right, a lot of times there isn't enough there for next week. Not what you can see today, but tomorrow there will be. And it's a great act of faith 
to let go of our worries for tomorrow and all the days to come and simply say, I trust you, Lord, that today you will fill me. You will make me lie down in these green pastures. When we shift our focus to daily, I, I do believe, and I've experienced recently, we will soon realize that there is always enough. Always enough. Let's read on. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. It was sometime shortly after college when I, uh, I realized that my life was just a series of trying to get through things. You know what I'm talking about? This idea of, uh, I've got this project and I just, I just can't wait till I'm through with it, until I'm done with it, until I'm, or, or I've just got to get through this week and then the weekend comes, or, or I've just got to get through this month until I, vacation, or I've just got, and it's just a series, or I've just got to, you know, get past this difficult situation at work, or until things are finally normal, until my suffering, my hardships, my difficulties, until they fade away, and then things will be okay, and God just helped me get through it, right? My prayer life reflected this. God just helped me get through this, but King David, he says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I began to realize, like, Jake, what are you, you're just trying to get through life? Before you know it, you're just gonna, you're just gonna be dead, and you will have gotten through life. Good job. Don't we all just get through life? I mean, to a certain extent. What good is that? God wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to be content, no matter our situations. So I ask God, how can I learn to find comfort in you, no matter my circumstances? And over time, he began to show me, if you are within my will, he said, you should have comfort. Say that again. If you are within my will, you should have comfort. If you are not within my will, you should not. I think this is what David means when he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These are two signs of a shepherd's will. Uh, a rod is what the shepherd used to, to fight away predators. For the sheep, and the staff is what he used uh, to guide the sheep throughout the wilderness. He'd he bang the ground so they knew not to go there. Or he'd flick dirt in their face to send them the other direction, or he'd wrap the the hook of his staff around their neck and yank them. But it, it's a sign of his will. And over time, the sheep learned to trust and obey his will, knowing that he was there for their protection, for their benefit. And at times, God's will. His guidance, his instruction in our lives feels a little bit more like discipline, feels a little bit more like correction. It kind of hurts to hear. It kind of hurts to just submit to that, does it not? But I've learned again and again and again, and I'm still learning to this day, that to stray away from him and to refuse his guidance is always a mistake. Always, always, always a mistake. And it's not even always because like, circumstantially things go haywire. It's because I lose the peace and the joy and the comfort that I know from being near God and within his will. Now, one more note on that. I, I will just say this. I do not know how you remain in God's will if you are not seeking it daily. If you are not meeting with God in the mornings when you get up, if you are not opening yourself to him, 
If you're not seeking him out, asking him to speak into your life, becoming whatever it is that he gives you, I don't know how you remain within his will. But the invitation is there. Okay, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Right here, the image switches. We go from uh, God's a shepherd, David's a sheep, to God is a host, and David is a guest. Now, I really like this because King David was both a shepherd and a king. And as a king, he would have been a great host, right? So he's using these analogies that he knows really well to describe how, how he relates with God. And he would have had many guests over to his, his castle or whatever, you know, house he lived in. And something about that culture um, is that uh, whenever you, you would prepare a table, whenever you'd set a meal, um, no matter who was there, the guest was um, always in charge of protecting his guests, Sorry, the host was always in charge of protecting his guests. So, so protection was almost like assumed. And then to understand you anoint my head with oil, uh, a rich host would anoint the head of his most honored guests. So that's what David's saying. He's saying, I, I'm an honored guest in God's home. My favorite verse in this psalm, though, is my cup overflows. My cup overflows. There's just this attitude that David has throughout this psalm that he has more than enough. Even in the presence of his enemies, throughout the darkest valley, my, my cup overflows. I'm overflowing with joy. There's never-ending abundance here in God's house. I spent too much of my life feeling as if I didn't have enough time, you know, I've spent too much of my life feeling as if I didn't have enough money. I spent too much of my life feeling as if I, I wasn't smart enough. If past circumstances in my life meant that I couldn't do this or that I, <laughs> you know what I mean? What David recognizes here is a really important truth is that in God's household, in his kingdom, there is no scarcity. There's no shortage. Lack of anything. but our cups overflow. And this should change the way that we pray. This should change the way that we live. I, th I think we spend, just, just think about your prayer life for a minute. We spend so much time, myself included, um, praying for things that we already have. Things that as, as not just as members of, uh, not just as, as guests in the household of God, but literally children, right, who he's promised his own inheritance, children in his house, it, we already have, that we should just assume we have. It's like, you ever had someone over to your, your house and bathroom? Like, you can use my bathroom. You don't, need to, you don't need to ask there, can I get a glass of water? Like, yes, it's just like the most obvious, please help yourself, you know? And I think we, when we pray and we ask God to, to provide and to protect, and when it's just a given, he's our father. We're in his house, of course. Uh, J.D. Walt, he's a writer of uh, the daily text at Seedbed, which you can sign up for here. A lot of us read it. But um, uh, he's, he writes this. He says, provision and protection are two areas of concern that threaten to consume our prayer life, holding us in the gravity of our own fears. You get what I mean? It's like we pray for it as if we need, like, as if we can earn it or as if we just pray enough, then God will actually provide. And, and 
What's different about that kind of prayer and what David is doing here in Psalm 23 is that David isn't asking for the Lord's provision for his protection. He's declaring it. That's why I love Psalm 23. Just I'm declaring God's provision in my life. And it's on this note that David ends in verse 6 by saying, Surely, surely, certainly goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is not in question. We have nothing to earn. We have nothing to pray into existence in this manner. It is something that if we follow Christ, we can confidently expect. So this morning, I believe what God is asking of us My prayer for us this morning all week has been, first, that we open ourselves to his guidance. We submit ourselves to his will. Then that we lay down our burdens, all our worries, our stresses in this life, just put them aside. Let today be today. And that we boldly declare the abundant provision that he has promised to his children. Find rest and peace joy and contentment in God. We can do that. That's an incredible thing. And I believe when we do, it will change the way that we live. Our concerns, if we're not concerned about all this petty stuff, our concerns will become much bigger. Our concerns will become much more, um, much larger than just about myself, you know? Our concerns will have more to do with the kingdom of God and these awesome, incredible things that he truly wants to do. And I think we will start to see things happen here at the church and in in Springfield in a way that we've never seen before. So take this step with me because this is rather new for me too. Let's pray. Father, shepherd, host, thank you. Thank you that, uh, man, there's no shortage of anything. that we don't have to guess or second guess. We don't have to doubt. We can just, man, we can find comfort in you. Help us to do this, God. Help us to trust you uh, for long enough, to stay within your will long enough, to see how truly um, awesome your will is, to see your promises fulfilled before us. Give us the strength to be patient, to wait on you. Help us to do this together. God, transform our prayer lives. Transform our lives. Let us be people in this town who don't fear anything. Let us be people in our workplaces who are just so calm so steady, so consistent, so strong, so confident, and not in ourselves, but in you. Let us be that light here, Lord. We give ourselves to you this morning. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.